What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Thank you for listening to Armchair Producers. This is just a reminder that you can go over to twitch.tv slash thefriedbrain every Wednesday evening at around 8 o'clock, and you can listen to us live, and you can actually also donate to us if you'd like. It does help support the channel, keep things running. Episode 106 of Armchair Producers. I'm one of your hosts, George Terran, alongside the man, the myth, the tool aficionado, Mr. Travis Croft. How are you, sir? I am fine and dandy. Uh, mm-hmm. Moving into the cooler months of the year in Melbourne. Mm-hmm. We're allowed to have 100% of people back in the office as yeah. of next week, I guess. And yeah. I, for one, am not happy. Um, <laughs> I know. You've been able to satisfactorily do your job at home, not have to wear pants, and now they are forcing this horrible scenario on you. It's terrible. Uh, it is. It's a. It's scandals. Uh, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would refute the the accusation. I don't wear pants. I mean, I am on a lot of video calls. That's a dangerous move. For uh, you could do the newscaster thing. I could, but you know, every now <laughs> and then, like, like this morning, I was on a video call and I had my back door open, and then someone next door decided to go nuts with a whippersnipper and a, a leaf blower and a chainsaw for about forty minutes. Oh, jeez! So I had to get up mid call and close the door because I couldn't hear anything, and I'm like. That would have been very difficult to do, mm-hmm. uh, sans, you know, trousers. But, yeah, I'm happy with, as the Americans would call them, sweatpants. Mm-hmm. That's fair. Um, That's fair. Uh, you know, but, uh, well, I guess life had to go back to something resembling normality. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I got to but go it's... to an actual football game last weekend. An actual yes. football game with real actual people in the vicinity of each other, and it was a delicious slice of mm. normality. Now, we've we've obviously discussed, because we've had the opportunity to go to COVID-safe cinemas for a little while now, and both you and I really do enjoy the fact that there's no one sitting directly next to us because of safety distances and all that stuff. We really love that. When you went back to the the footy, obviously it, this was at the uh, the MCG where they can have what close to fifty thousand people, and they well, had seat one hundred normally, so it was at fifty percent mm. capacity. So yeah, 50K. yeah, yeah. So do, do you did you like that number, or does does the footy that that live event? Do you feel like it needs to really feel like yeah? Does it need that energy of the full audience kind of thing? <sighs> It wasn't a very interesting game between uninteresting clubs. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, I didn't, and plus also have been the first time in well over a year since I've been able to go to a mm-hmm. live game of football. Um, but I didn't feel the absence. And there were only 21,000 there because it involved a team from Perth and mm-hmm. Melbourne Football Club whose supporters, uh, you know, were probably busy, you know, up in the Alps uh, skiing or doing something else that rich people do. Maybe yachting. It was a it was a, it was a lovely South Easterly bruise on Saturday <laughs> afternoon. You know, um, so but, and they don't turn up because they suck. But um, you know, it was just nice, even with only twenty thousand in there here, to just be in amongst that atmosphere again. So if you if you love the game, or, or you know, if you're a fan of you know, American football or soccer or whatever sport you are, being in that live environment is is really a, a fantastic sort of part of the experience. Mm vibe of you know, people getting up and getting really pissed off and yelling at the umpire and storming <laughs> off and, you know, doing, just, just losing their shit about stuff that they shouldn't lose their shit about. That's That was good, and that was all there with 21,000 people. Now, 
coming this Friday night is a bigger game between mm-hmm. clubs who do suck this year but have a traditional rivalry that you know, Collingwood and Carlton, they hate each other. So they've bumped up that to 75% now. So that means 75,000 okay. people could technically be there. I would mm-hmm. doubt there will be that many there on Friday night. But to see a game like that with, you know, that, that kind of emotion on the line with only 20, you know, thousand odd people there would have been mm-hmm. that would be less exciting but uh it sounds yeah. like we're we're on track to move back to you know something resembling um so yeah. far yeah i wonder i wonder if part of this is um because of the footy coming back um i noticed in the shopping centers that there were a lot more people getting angry at people wearing masks and it was sort of like, well, it's all right to go to the footy, but we can't go around the shops. And a lot of that mentality was very front and center. And I also wonder if having Dan Andrews, um, you know, bed, bed bound for a while and a new acting PM come in and sort of like, yeah, let's, let's, let's relax that a little bit more. I wonder if that's got anything right, to do with it. The idea that someone's getting pissy at someone in a shopping center because the other person He's wearing mm-hmm. a mask, mm-hmm. and you are no longer being compelled to wear a mask inside a shopping center. Mm. Did I go to the supermarket as of Saturday, Friday night? Yeah, without wearing a mask. That'd be the first time in a long time you haven't had to wear a mask at the supermarket. So, mm-hmm. um, I can't understand that in any way, shape, or form about what the thought process is. Well, clearly, Travis, you just don't understand. It is offensive and insulting to my personal beliefs and religions when someone else has, wears a mask and I don't want to. They're, they're insulting me. <clears throat> Making a it says something about the person who's actually, yeah, who's actually, you know, calling somebody else out for being a little bit more careful. Yeah, but I like my masks. My masks are cool, and yeah. I've barely had a chance to wear them over the last few months. So I am, you know, if you, you mean. If you go to Japan or a lot of places in Southeast Asia, Japan in particular, it's pretty standard. Yeah, it's standard. And you know, like I remember the first couple of times, first time I went there, I was like, "This can't work, can it? This can't work." And then you Google it, you're like, "Oh, actually, it does really kind of help." Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's not even about. And you know, initially, I think I interpreted it as a fact of like, are these just people who are you know really paranoid about catching public transport? Mm. around other people but no it's the opposite it's i don't want to make other people sick it's a it's a sign of courteousness to their fellow travelers and their fellow citizens that they don't want to get everybody sick so they all wear masks so they're not making other people sick and you know i guess it says something about our society that yeah we we are still on the on the downward slope but i'm in it no, no less um of a giant pandemic and uh, we have people here who are getting pissy at other people wearing a mask. It's just that yeah. insanity. But you're right. I'm seeing a comment around a lot now. Oh, I can go to a footy and blah, blah, blah. But yeah. um, I, um, uh, you know, I, I can't go to a bar or I can't go to a dance club or I can't. Well, let's be honest. Everyone, everyone wants to see you on the dance floor. Yeah, well, I mean, it, it's coming, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> should we talk about? We've actually got a very full show this week, so we, we do. Yeah, we we teased it a little bit the week before last because of when we record versus when things get released. We now have the world has experienced Zack Schneider's Justice League, 
and the first episode of Marvel's new show, uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, has dropped. We've got episode two coming in a couple of days. And on top of that, the uh, the creme de la creme of our show, it is the mo- chain movie, and Travis had uh, had us go back, back in time, possibly further than we have ever been, to 1967, where we watched The Night of the Generals. Um, so we've got those three things to talk about. We may possibly not get to Falcon and the Winter Soldier tonight if we go long on Justice League, because it's a long movie, a lot of stuff to digest. But if we do miss it, We'll have a much more bumper episode for episodes one and two next week, ladies and gentlemen. Incidentally, hello to all the new people who are watching along. Uh, yes, it's, oh, it, was, it, was, it was a few people there. It's, it's yeah. Weird. Um, why are yeah. you here? Um, <laughs> we, we're welcome, <laughs> but why are you here? Um, should we start with what the one that everybody has been waiting for weeks and months and years for us to talk about the most anticipated thing? going Mm -hmm. on in the world of entertainment right now. And that, of course, is the 1967 film Night of the Generals. Absolutely. It it has now come, it is bearing fruit now, better than ever before. That'll keep people happy. Yeah. (laughs) It's definitely one way to describe watching four hours of Justice League. I suspect you might have have something interesting to say about that. Um, Yep. So we followed uh, the late great um, uh, what's his name Christopher Plummer. Plummer. I, I did cheat a little bit because we followed him earlier in the uh, late last year, earlier this year into um, mm-hmm. the Inside Man, Inside Man, the Spike Lee film. But I forgot, and uh, <laughs> it's like I can't get that time back. That's two people who seem like they're voting against it right now. Um, but well, I, I something kinda... religious wrong. But anyway, <laughs> Christopher Plummer passed away in February. So yes. I thought it would be appropriate to follow him again and give him the send-off he deserves. And we do tend to focus on stuff from the last 25 years or so a lot on the show. Hmm. Um, Makes sense, really. But Back in time to something that's a little bit – one film I haven't seen, I'm not hmm. familiar with, and, you know, a very different era of filmmaking. Um, Absolutely right. Absolutely right. It was um, – watching this movie, um, it feels like – the old way of making movies everything about it the way that everything is set the way that all of the characters are positioned it's more like a film stage play rather than um a dramatic thriller set in the middle of a war but for those who don't know let's let's uh let's try and keep this going so um, Night of the Generals is set in where well, it starts off in 1942 a Polish prostitute and a German agent um they're one and the same um is murdered in warsaw suspicion falls on three generals the major Grau, played by omar sharif of german intelligence seek justice seeks justice which ends up taking decades that's a a, yeah it's it's one hell of a cast it's it's some of golden age cinema royalty with Omar Sharif, Peter O'Toole. Um, you've got Donald Pleasant in there. Um, you've got uh, Charles Gray, Philippe Noriet. It's uh, so, so Tom Courtney, um, yes. who's, while not a household name today, you know, you don't get knighted for being an active reverend. And he was nominated for two Oscars back in the day. So mm, mm. Um, but, um, just that sort of that core of, O'Toole, Sharif, Donald Pleasance, you know, and then a, a cameo mm. for Plummer. Um, yeah, really, you sort of you can add it really that that 
the golden age of cinema, some of the biggest names going around. Mm, mm. Um, and I, I think I think it's a very very generous view to go for people who don't know what the plot of this film is. Like that would be pretty much everyone. Because <laughs> this this movie I was reading, it was it didn't make money at the box office. This was even even when it finally came out. This was after. Um, uh, Peter O'Toole and Omar Sharif had been in Lawrence of Arabia and become big stars. They were bound contractually to this, much like Ed Norton had to do the Incredible Hulk, um, uh, uh, the, um, the Italian job, job remake. Um, but this movie was not a success at the box office. And it's kind of interesting to look at it and go, oh, yeah, so they've always been these big name led movies that can just bomb it's not a new generation thing it's something that is star it power doesn't always get you over the line I yeah guess. yeah absolutely now what i noticed about this film was uh mm. watching it. it is a two and a half hour film so this is not short mm -hmm. no it is that not probably didn't help um was interestingly that it kind of reminded me at in, in from a technical perspective Mm. Uh, once upon a time in Hollywood, because um, uh, obviously that, that was well, so obviously. But if you are if you've seen the film, it's Tarantino paying homage to the cinema that he loved from the late sixties, mm -hmm. and this is a film from the late sixties. So yeah. um, uh, everything about it, kind of the VB, as you sort of said, that the way it's shot, the mm -hmm. way the scenes play out, but also just I guess the, the meandering pace that the film goes at, sort of it's very languid. Um, mm. it, it's it, it's, it's not very well laid out either because it's it's that there's there's three different decades that it goes through. There's the um, the late forties where this murder of the prostitute and German agent happens. Then there's ten years later, and then there's ten years later after the war, and it's like okay, um, you're not very well explaining that and you just jump from one to the next in a bit of um it, it's it's the that it's style of, it sort of dissolves from time period to time period. like it doesn't actually like have yeah. any, any text on screen or um an establishing shot because it'll let you know that yeah we're now in a different time period somehow um absolutely right i feel like it's it's kind of this is the earliest one of the earliest examples of that time jumping narrative that i've ever watched and it's sort of like i wonder if this was one of the more progenitors of that style because it is very popular particularly in the last 10 15 years to jump backwards and forwards when telling a story and have these revelations and explanations go hand in hand as juxtaposition uh, yes, we're bringing so... our, our our third co-host, Archimedes, has joined the uh, has joined the fray. Um, <laughs> we need to hear what he thinks of Justice League a little later. Um, mm -hmm. You're right; it is a little hard to follow in parts exactly mm. where you are in the story. You really kind of do need to be paying attention to what's yeah. going on to to really follow exactly what's what how the story is progressing because it jumps back and forward a little, very mm. very liberally. And doesn't really spend a lot of time or effort in trying to make sure it's taking you along with a journey. Mm. And I, especially, I'm sorry, go on. Sorry. I was going to say, as a historian, mm. which I can very um, pretentiously call myself because 
I do have a degree in history. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. Mm. Uh-huh. Uh, and as a, a bit of a, an aficionado of, of, of World War II history, um, I, I had some problems initially with the setup of this film, mm. uh, the premise of this film. Do you realize how much of a shit the Nazis would have given about a Polish prostitute being yeah. murdered in 1942? Yeah. They wouldn't have given a single squirt of piss about. They couldn't have given less of a flying fuck if a German prostitute died. Now, the fact that she was a German agent, maybe it might have put a blip mm-hmm. on the radar, but would it have caused a German intelligence agent to actually bother a fucking general to actually go and like interrogate generals and try and um, you know find out and get to the bottom of his crime? Like, no. Fucking why not for a second would they have ever gone down that road? Yeah, straight off the bat, you are expected to just divorce from all expectations um, and presentations of Nazi Germany during that time more than any other. And there's not even any real explanation or or tying that to the character um, of Major Grau as he comes in he seems to be that he's got this permanent smile on his face and as he comes in and we're told that this prostitute was stabbed over a hundred times and it's like okay that's brutal this is interesting but what really it's it's actually an interesting premise it's Mm. basically a serial killer film set in world war ii yeah um and that's actually and it's all the way through through i'm thinking this film is like add this to the list next to Monster Squad that desperately needs a remake because yeah. this story or a story with the same premise could do great things. Absolutely. Um, but and, and I'm not saying this film is bad. It's actually not. It's it's mm. it has its pros and cons. Yeah. Uh, that was just sort of maybe some people could jump on board and go, oh wow, you know the Nazis. Well, they were you know they were a, a law-abiding folk, right? <laughs> they respected the rule of law. Um, <laughs> So, you know, they're not going to be going around randomly murdering people. They they weren't monsters. Yeah. Um, so I don't know if you have if that, that instant, like the initial premise that that, that an actual a Nazi policeman of some description would, would bother investigating that crime mm. in any way thoroughly uh, was instantly suspicious to me. And then that just kept growing through the film. The mm. other part that kind of had me going, how does this work? Mm. is Omar Sharif is famously Egyptian. Yes. Um, and, you know, a, a wonderful actor mm-hmm. um, and, you know, a, a sex symbol of his age. Mm-hmm. But he's quite obviously not white. Um, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> uh, and, again, I'm, I'm, I, I'm, pleased, I'm not trying to be racist here. I'm just like, the guy's quite obviously, you know, olive-skinned. Mm-hmm. He's obviously swarthy and, you know... Um, he comes from North Africa. That's where he's from. Uh, and I was just trying to think of a scenario where someone like that, with, with that appearance, would somehow work his way up to a major or, or be anywhere employed in an official role by the Nazis. I mean, I know they weren't adverse in some ways mm. to putting people on the battlefield. And sorry if I'm getting way too technical for people who are watching about my, my, my Nazi history, <laughs> but they weren't, they weren't adverse to putting on the battlefield as used cannon fodder, right? They use Arab yeah. troops and stuff like that. And of course, you know, plenty, there were SS divisions from other countries, but generally speaking, they were kind of 
white parts of other countries, you know. Mm. Uh, so I was a little bit like, uh, I'm not sure about how exactly Omar is supposed to fit into that role. There's elements of it that come through when you um, at the that big gala dinner the first time that the the three suspected generals kind of meet, and um, they do have this loose mention of Omar Sharif's character, and it's kind of going, oh, he's a bit of a uh, bit of an odd one, and it's like, okay. You need to kind of play that up a little bit more to kind of explain it. So, like, maybe maybe present him more as this extraordinary talent that he is able to rise above the typical Nazi regime bullshit to get to a position where he was able to walk into one of the highest, highest society, highest official places. And it's like, mm, that ain't really likely to have happened. I guess historical accuracy, interesting, because it was it was only 22 years after the end of a war yeah. when it was made, and there would have been very regularly people attending the cinema and mm-hmm. the film. We were there, right? They experienced the end of a war. Mm. Or their relatives and family and friends have experienced the end of a war uh, and, and experienced the Nazis. Um, so that was just a little bit difficult for me to swallow, but, mm. you know, A, just the, the general premise of a film, and... I, don't, I feel like I'm being a, a racist. I'm really trying not to be. I'm just trying to think the Nazis were, you know, um, famously, you might not have been aware of this, but they were a little bit racist. A little Fake bit. news. Uh, you know, they might have been, they might have had some photos taken of them in college in blackface. You know, um, <laughs> so, you know, the, the idea of someone of color having such a prominent role and being allowed to basically, as we would say in Australia, shirt front generals. At their pl- at their homes to go. Hey, where were you on a night of blah blah blah? Yeah, did mm. quiet, and that kind of bothered me all the way through his character arc. Yes, yeah. he shouldn't be doing this. He would know better than this if he got to this level, um, and mm. he would never have got to this level being who he is. Yeah, um, I know. I guess some some positive stuff. Yeah, uh, Peter O'Toole is incredible in this. All three of the generals play their play their characters really well, in spite of, aside from Peter O'Toole's character, which gets a bit more TLC on that character development and um, kind of background storytelling. They all just have these characters really, really play played out well. Like Donald Pleasance, General uh, Kallenberg, he is kind of they they mention that he's like one of the nicest and the friendliest of the generals and he does always come across as more of like a a mild-mannered meeker kind of character and but he's a weaselly and as you kind of go through the decades seeing him and like what he's involved in um it's of like he did really well with that and i was particularly impressed with uh charles gray general von uh global i think i'm butchering that name obviously German isn't great yeah. yeah um and he is again this guy that's sort of like you, every time you see him he's kind of playing all sides and happily determined to he even says that he wants to be a neutral party and all of this and it's like he's he is so untrustworthy you could not throw him anywhere and he's slimy isn't he yeah yeah but then Peter O'Toole, um, he's ice cold. Yeah, he, he's 
fucking block of stone and it's fucking chilling it's it, it's old school like think about um the way that they presented norman bates in psycho and things like that the the really kind of uh devoid of emotion character very stare staring just off of center of camera and things like that he's doing a lot of that but it's sort of like okay this guy is fucked up like the scene where he goes and sees the self-portrait of vincent van gogh and just the sweat that's building up on his face and just the slight shaking as just it, it affects him in a way and it's like this guy fucked up oh <laughs> he looks like he looks like a nazi right he's nazi poster yeah. boy right he blonde hair blue eyed and in mm. a way i kind of found myself going i wonder if someone like um ray fines looked at, at this performance when he was creating his character um in schindler's list um uh, mm. I, very different but i can sort of yeah. see a, a line between the two um well, the other part of this film, which is really, I was surprised, given the title, was given very short shrift, was mm-hmm. the actual Night of the Generals. Um, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's there, but it's given a real, like, oh, it's happened, oh, yeah. you know. It's like, um, this is inciting incident, cut to 10 years later. Yeah, pretty much. It sort of <laughs> happens and it's over. Um, yeah. Those who don't know what the Night of the Generals was, it's basically the, the, the plot of the entire 2008 Tom Cruise film, Valkyrie. Yes. Um, where a bunch of generals towards the end of a war tried to assassinate Hitler mm-hmm. in an effort to then uh, basically stage a military coup and then try and make a, a separate peace with the Allies. Mm-hmm. So, um, and then, you know, but it didn't work, funnily enough. Um, so <laughs> I remember um, it happening. I remember that that being it was a good effort. Though. It was a good effort, but, you know, look <laughs> at <laughs> that damn table. Um, but it's there, and, and a number of the generals in this story are actually members of that plot. And you sort of mentioned Mm -hmm. it um, in that um, Charles Gray's character, Mm -hmm. kind of like, well, let's just say I'm going to be on the fence about the whole thing and I'm not going to commit or, you know, very cowardly. Um, Mm -hmm. But again, the consequences are very, it's over, you know, like pretty much everyone who was involved in that plot was fucking hung or shot or Mm -hmm. brutally killed. Like, and the idea that two or three of them, they pretty much all of them survive the war. Um, yeah. Um, in the generals, at least. Um, yeah. So it, it it was interesting that that is the name of a film, yet is covered very little in the film. And again, though, I found myself thinking, this would actually make a fat... Valkyrie was a bit meh. Yeah. Um, and this was actually the idea of actually putting this whole serial killer angle over the top of the the um intrigue of the night of the generals would, would again be able to make a fascinating story to, to mm. remake um today with better production values and better mm. not better actors necessarily but maybe a tighter script i think that's that's part of it this even trying to divorce from the fact that it's over 50 years old of a movie and like oh they don't make movies like that anymore it's still you're kind of looking at it going oh yeah i'm really feeling that two and a half hours time and oh it's it's not as chilling and harrowing as it, it as it should be it's like the um sequence where um general tance is going through and basically just slowly but surely destroying warsaw just with as as an exercise and so like that should be way more harrowing and horrible because that is awful 
unequivocally awful and happened. Those things happened. And you don't really see much of it. You just see a lot of pageantry around it. And it's so it's played as if it's very kind of borderline offensive to Major Grau because he gives up waiting to talk to the general and just turns off and leaves. And he's, he's a madman. He's just burning the city. And it's like, yeah. The reason, that, the reason for that is if you're reading the trivia on IMDb, this film it was one of the last or one of the heavy censorship mm-hmm. trouble before the abolition of a production mm-hmm. code administration and its replacement with the current system, the MPAA. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, maybe even without that, but like, I mean, if you look at a film like Schindler's List, where if you think of the, the scene where they liquidate the ghetto, um, the film's not um, the film's not backwards about coming forwards. Seeing people get shot in the head and you know horrible things happening. Yeah, um, I would hope that it depends. Like they would quite easily do the same thing. There seems to be people are getting shot in the street, and it's like it's pretty you know bland. Mm. No blood, mm. or as you sort of say, there's not a whole lot of consequence to what they're doing to these people. Mm. Um, I, I felt like that robbed the film. Of quite a bit of power in mm. a sense, right? It's sort of if you again, if you think about that scene in you know, the, the liquidation of a ghetto, it's harrowing, yeah. yeah. And it's a very similar kind of scene here in a way, yeah. Blowing up like with tanks and flamethrowers, yeah. Entire neighborhood blocks, and they're just like it's it's almost a, is a, an administrative exercise, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, so like, oh, I've got to do my numbers. <laughs> interesting an angle about this is. That um that I I sort of came to during the film is it focus on sex crimes, mm. and and I guess sex as a thing you know like not a common angle you would see a film in the nineteen sixties take right a fairly yeah. sort of fairly conservative era yeah. especially Hollywood yeah um so the fact that she was a prostitute and they were talking about oh there are lots of stab wounds around her genitals and stuff and you were like. Uh, what am I watching? Like, uh, you know, CSI Warsaw, like, no, or like, you know, sorry, um, Law and Order for you kind of thing, right? Like, it was, um, yeah, have you dusted for semen, you know? Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's all goopy. <laughs> so that was, you know, it's quite a, well, I wouldn't say racy, but it's, it's, for you know, its it's time, it's pretty damn racy. I mean, it, there's like the, the boom of the 70s hadn't happened yet, and this was, you know, very openly um, dis- displaying and having as part of the story the prostitute career, so to speak. You know, one is dead at the start, and then there's the the couple of scenes with General Tance and the the other prostitute he picks up in a French uh, in a Parisian bar, and it's like, okay, this is creepy. If I was a pro- if I was that prostitute. I would not get in that car with General Tance because he, <laughs> yeah, fucking weird. You're a killer vibes. Yeah, yeah, very, very much so. Um, um, I feel like this movie, kind of like what we're going to talk about next with Zack Snyder's Justice League, in spite of it being two and a half hours long, I feel like there's actually enough interesting elements that they, if they spent more time, turned it into a miniseries or a single season story that went deeper into the serial killer in occupied Warsaw and leading up to um, the the death of, or the end of the war, so to speak, that would be 
fucking cool if they were able to just go into more of um omar sharif's character's kind of reasons why he gets think about a, with a, a nazi sherlock holmes yeah that would be kind of fucking cool that leads into an interesting art angle i, I felt like the nazis a lot of nazis in this film were treated quite sympathetically yeah like major yeah. brow is a very decent human being yeah, his his uh, conversations with um, Inspector Morand of the the French police that they were great scenes, by the way. And um, he was very much played as like I'm literally just following the letter of the law, so don't don't you know don't think of me too badly, even though I am very much a Nazi. <laughs> it's like I'm just following orders, and he's kind of given a bit of a bit of a mulligan for that it's it's and even donald pleasance's character is very disapproving of what um uh uh, peter o'toole's character is doing yeah uh in his liquidation of warsaw and destroying neighborhoods and he's like it's very tut tut tutting about he doesn't Mm. care for his methods he's gonna kill all these people who are innocent people um and that was interesting in the sense like maybe Look, it's very rare to have any character be sympathetic, any Nazi character, Nazi military character be sympathetic in a film. Like Oscar Schindler was fairly sympathetic. He wasn't a, wasn't a soldier, though. He was yeah. He was a you know a businessman, an opportunist. But yeah. um, very rare for a Nazi, a Wehrmacht soldier to to mm-hmm. to come across uh, as not a complete monster. Yeah. Let alone two or three of them in this film who yeah uh, are kind of played that way. It's just being sort of you know, bystanders of history. Um, yeah. That was interesting to me. It's like, I don't think you would see that today. Mm. And even, even with Peter O'Toole's general terms, there's there's an element of sympathy to him uh, at the beginning, at the very least, because, you know, he's riding through the streets and he stops and has this conversation with the, the Polish kids. And he just um, is, he... He's he seems genuinely offended that the children are in such a dire states, and he's sort of like does a token Nazi nice thing of, sort of like yes, make sure that everyone is walking around with sweets and things for the children, and he it's sort of like okay, he's he's not out and out horrible. He's not just your quintessential. This is the bad guy, and there are no redeem, redeeming qualities to him, and the the way that he slowly peel away some of the psychoses of his character you start thinking okay this guy there's elements we're talking about him um being a, a war hero for um was it kazakhstan or something like that i can't remember now um i don't know but oh, it, the, uh, Len- the hero of leningrad yes yes that's it thank you um and you kind of think okay he's suffering from kind of shell shock and ptsd okay that's just explaining that that kind of explains why he's acting the way he is. Oh no, no, he's not. He's just fucked up. Okay, it was an interesting way of doing a little bit of a red herring for that character, especially when um, uh, Omar Sharif. There's a, a point where he's kind of talking about the the likelihood of each of the three generals being the murderer, and he says that he doesn't think it's General Tance, but obviously that gets you know spoilers it's general tans <laughs> but while we're talking spoilers i guess what I've, i mean I, I i don't want to rush you but i think we've got a we've got a, a full show we got a full show yes. uh, i want to tie a bow around this and just say the end of this film 
is fucking terrible and absolutely oh. needs to be fixed. Like it, it was just a spoiler alert here for people who were looking is going, oh, wow. I mean, you know, um, this sounds cool. I want to watch it. And I, I would recommend it. It's a, it's a, yeah. if you like films about era and films about mm. Nazis, it's not terrible. It's yeah. not perfect. It's not terrible. But the ending, oh. So uh, to do a bit of a rundown, you know, they, in, we were now, what, tw 10, 20 years after the war, um and uh um, well, it, it's it, it's the the those elements are supposed to be set present day so 67 so yeah to yeah 20 plus years after the yeah. war um we now have a, a french police inspector i think um mm -hmm. sort of trying to track down he's still basically uh investigating this murder of a prostitute from 1942 mm -hmm. uh, again really i mean you know a lot a lot of people died in that war. I seriously doubt um, <laughs> a, a post-war police force would be um, spending any energy on this. But mm. they, they, they've basically, through, you know, being investigators, tracked down it as General Towns, who is the man who did this. Mm. They find a witness and they attend a reunion of General Towns' SS division at which he's presenting or the guest of honour. And they confront him with a witness that he's been basically, you know, he's now he's he's done. And if this were an episode of the Bill, someone someone would go, "You're nicked." Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, there we go. That'll be an interesting crossover. Um, <laughs> um, you don't know what the Bill is, you know, Google. Um, but he basically says he's if he, uh, General Tans, former General Tans turns to his uh, aide or friend or whatever the guy is, says, give me your gun. Yeah. And he hands him his gun and they let him leave a room, go to a yeah. different room and then shoot himself in the head. And I'm like, yeah. everyone's just standing around watching. And I'm like, would you not be like, hey, put the gun down, stop, stop, I'll shoot you. Who's he knows what? Yeah. It's like, oh, okay, you know what? Yes, we're going to confront this general who's recently just got released for war crimes. And is being celebrated for his efforts during the war. Yep. Okay. Cool. We'll we'll get him. We'll we'll knock him down so that it's it's a very public um, and it just ru ruins his career for for all time. Blah blah blah. Maybe that's what they were thinking. And it's like yes, we're just going to have a casual conversation. Just mildly suggest that uh, it could very well be you. Oh yes, uh, we also have a witness. Oh yes, we will let you just wander off with a gun. And it's fine. Fine. Yeah, really that's fine. fine. Oh, you just shot himself. Oh, shit. Probably shouldn't have done that, eh? <laughs> <laughs> it was pathetic. It was such a, such a, you know, a, a very, for a film that was kind of atypical, I think, for its era mm. in a lot of ways. It was a very atypical, pathetic uh, mm. ending for the film. I, it was really weak. Yeah. And, like, you know, just, just like, about, it's almost like the writers ran out of ideas. Yeah, so like, oh shit, we we need he needs his comeuppance. Uh, yeah, yeah, I've run out of ink on my pen. Sorry, I'm fine. You know, with him committing suicide at the mm. end of the film, as a, as a you know, um, but there would have been so many more mm. artistic or authentic. Yeah. There were so or... so many better better ways that they could have played it. They could have played up. Um, slowly throughout the movie, the general Tans is actually more of a coward, and so by him committing suicide and being the coward's way out of instead of having to go back to jail where he just got out of, 
that's what he chose and they just build more of the character story around that perhaps mm. yeah yeah it was an interesting experience i'm glad we did it mm, um, me too i would be glad i picked it um but hey i'll put my hand up if i watch it make us watch a piece of shit um <laughs> I, i've done that before um so but it's interesting to take us back to an era we're not familiar with or we haven't been used to do. you're going to take us somewhere next you've got a lot of apps in this film well i also actually have a a side because we were talking about anime last week and you asked about more reality-based anime and things like that and i suddenly remember this movie helped me remember an amazing miniseries called monster and it's about um it starts with a, a well-revered doctor saving the life of these two kids um, in um, a, a murder that, that happens at a very prestigious um, family. And years later, one of those kids is apparently a serial killer and the doctor feels this great remorse for having saved the life of a monster. And he is now kind of put it upon himself to try and track this guy, guy down and bring justice. It's really good. And I recommend you trying to track it down because I think you might like I'll, it. I'll see what I can do. Mm. Doesn't seem but, like it instantly pops up on places. Mm, um, maybe it may have to go to through like Anime Lab or Funimation or something like that. And you may be able to, to get it that way. But keep an eye. And I do have the um, the manga version of it if you wanted to read it. I, I, don't, I, I don't get to read for fun anymore. <laughs> I, now, I have to study. Now, going back to our new chain movie, as you said, there's a lot of possibilities, and I have a whole page of possibilities. Here are some of the possibilities. Some of them are very obvious, like you could go to Dr. Zhivago, Lawrence of Arabia, The Lion in Winter, um, Halloween. Um uh, the Prince of Darkness. There's one that I want to do, but I don't know if we'll get it. And the only reason I really want to do it is partly because I've heard that it's quite a good movie and it would lead us to Krull. No. <laughs> won't do it. I went to watch that last September for my other podcast available now, wherever you join, you download good podcasts from. <laughs> uh, and no, we've done it in this show before. We haven't and done Krull on this show. Yeah, we have. We've done Krull before, um, I, but maybe on the old show. Um, it might have been on the old show, yeah. But I had to watch that last year. No, no, no. All right, fine, 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 fine. No well, in that case, I, I will give you a choice. Do you want comedy or do you want serious? Honestly, you pick. Oh, fucking hell. <laughs> well. I'm not going to make this easy for you. Okay, okay. In that case... We're going to go, we're going to follow Peter O'Toole, and we are going to go to a Stephen Fry-directed um, movie from the early 2000s called Bright Young Things. Not familiar with it. Yeah, yeah I remember watching this in the cinema, and it's, I, I, have, I remember it quite fondly. Okay, well, it could be yeah. interesting. We, we had that interesting experience with um, Syriana last week, where we both fondly remembered it. And then watch yeah. it again for it. Oh, actually. It'll be curious to see. <laughs> you see, yeah. I was like, oh, no. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, on YouTube, it's on Google Play, so it's mm -hmm. legally available in our country. Oh. And this this is an adaptation of Evelyn Vaughn's novel, Vile Bodies. Um, it's a look into the lives of a young novelist, his would-be lover, and the host of young people who beautified London in the 1930s. Uh, Cara Kitty says Stephen Fry. I adore him. Mm -hmm. I like Stephen Fry as well. I really used to with a mm. QI. He used to host. Um, yes. And I thought he was really good in mm. um, V for Vendetta. Yep. Um, he's, he's usually pretty good. I mean, he was even good as Mycroft in uh, Sherlock Holmes' Game of Shadows. Oh, and um, Mansfield Park, he played the, the, uh, the bumbling mm -hmm. detective. Yeah, um, yep, yep. that was really good. And was it Fry and Laurie? Yes, um, a bit of Fry and Laurie. Fantastic. And um, that, that show was, when you go mm. back and watch that, he's, the guy. But we've got, the, this movie gives you plenty of offshoots as well. So um, just off the, the top billing, there's uh, Stephen Campbell, Emily Mortimer, Dan Aykroyd, Michael Sheen, James McAvoy, Stockard Channing, um, David Tennant in there, Jim Broadbent, Steve Callow. It's got a um, it's got a good collection of some some of the icons of British cinema, obviously being being British, they are going to sneak in there. But and based on a book by Evelyn Waugh, mm -hmm. uh, who has had many of um, many of um, his books. I always put Evelyn Waugh was a woman, but it's him. Mm. Um, um, so anyway, many of his books turned into films. So. Um, and it opens up Stephen Fry, which could take us to Thief and Vendetta, which I will not do. No. Um, <laughs> I like that film, but I don't think it would be a very... We don't need to go back to that. Constructive discussion. Um, anyway, that, that yeah. is an interesting choice. I have yeah. not seen it. So um, next week, chain movie of the week is Bright Young Things, directed by Stephen Fry. Now let's get on to a bit more of the meat and potatoes of this episode, something that no one is talking about. No one has even thought about this movie since 2017. Zack Snyder's Justice League. That's right. Yeah. And fair warning, ladies and gentlemen, spoilers if you haven't already watched it. I mean, I feel like it's a four-year-old film and the plot is essentially exactly the same as the theatrical release. <laughs> so... Um, <laughs> If you haven't seen it, um, you probably don't want to. Um, and if you haven't seen it, I seriously, some people, I, I think some people, some of our viewers might actually, Miss Foxy, in fact, I know for a fact, has not seen the theatrical version, but did sit through the four hour um, <laughs> uh, director's cut. So there might be some who have interest in seeing the director's cut. But anyway, um, <laughs> we were both in the camp, we talked a little about last week, of being kind of like, when we saw it in 2017, you and I vehemently disagreed on Batman versus Superman, but we mm -hmm. were kind of on the same on the same page with this one. Yes. The actual release going, eh, it wasn't bad. It wasn't an utter mess. It got worse the more you watched it, though. Yes. Once you got out of the novelty of seeing a bunch of cool superheroes on the screen today were doing cool superhero shit, it mm -hmm. didn't hold up very well. Uh, it got worse. I talked about being in hospital and watching it three times in three days or whatever it was, and <laughs> it wasn't. It didn't help my health. Um, <laughs> we can't understand why he died, sir. <laughs> it's like, well, let's just look at what he. Oh, hell. Yeah. it was the fuck <laughs> hell. Um, but, uh, I um, so I kind of went in with very low expectations. Mm. Um, but I mean, you and I have had a spoiler alert. 
we had a cheeky catch up on Saturday it night. Is. Actually, the first time we have seen each other in person since your birthday last year, which I think would have been June. Yes, yes, when when we had the the cocktail potion making, yeah, yeah, that was the last time we saw each other in person. So we did compare notes a little bit here. So this mm-hmm. is not quite planning. We don't plan. No, no, no. But notes. I think it's fair yeah. to say we both walked away giving this film a, a thumbs up, and it is yeah. a lot better mm. than the theatrical release. A hundred percent, a hundred, a hundred percent. It's this is. I, I I said to Travis over um, when we, when we met up that this is just further evidence that Zack Snyder is not very good at telling a concise story. It's either. It's either paper thin, kind of basic stuff. The the likes of like he doesn't go into any of the um, social commentary that the original Dawn of the Dead did. But his Dawn of the Dead is still a fun jaunt through a zombie movie. Um, And then you've got um, Sucker Punch, which is eye candy, um, but it is. Uh, just a mess of a story it is the one and only time he has ever written something entirely unique for himself and it's it's sort of like okay i I don't um i I don't hate it at all it's just just story-wise a mess and i can understand why a lot of people would kind of go oh um yeah it's ridiculously sexist or something "Mm, i don't know if it's sexist but it definitely play hypes up the sex value I've always thought of him as a director who values style over substance, yeah. not to the degree of say a Michael Bay, mm. um, you know, explosion central, you know, but he <laughs> he's far more stylish than Michael Bay. I'm not putting him in that category, but um, it's easy to tell a good story. Like I think mm. we both like Watchmen. Yes. Um, it's easy to do that when you've got that kind of amazing source material. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you're picking up something like Sucker Punch, it's a little bit harder to do. In this yeah, sense, I don't think Justice League story is in the category of a Watchman. So mm. in trying to tell a story, an epic, you know, story in that space, um, is a little bit more of a challenge for someone like him who just doesn't do. Mm. Yeah. Christopher Nolan can pull it off because he's good at both. Yes, yes, but, but you are. And yeah. He's not. But then you you look at um, uh, his ultimate version of Watchmen is overall better paced. It is it makes more narrative sense and it flows better um, uh, as um, as does even though it's far less of a completely different movie as Zack Snyder's Justice League versus Joss Whedon's Justice League. Um, the Batman v Superman. Um, Ultimate Edition, it does again improve it. Just all evidence to show that Zack Snyder needs a better editor, for one thing, and he needs to invest more time in actually getting a concise story, very a focused story, because none of his movies are ever focused except for 300. So... (laughs) Backstory here for people who are going, oh, what the fuck are you talking about? If you haven't been, like, it's not as common knowledge as I think it is, I think. Hmm. Zack Snyder was signed up as the, the creative genius behind the DC Extended Universe, which was supposed to be the, hmm. you know, the DC Comics version, the Warner Brothers Studios version of what Disney and Marvel have created in their world. 
He mm-hmm. wrote and directed uh, Man of Steel. He wrote and directed um, Batman vs. Superman, both of which were Man of Steel was kind of like people like, eh, all right. Mm-hmm. Superman versus Batman and Superman was critically panned and didn't do it didn't do badly, but it didn't do as well as mm-hmm. the studio would have hoped. So come Justice League, there are a lot of doubts about his ability to helm this mm-hmm. incredible franchise for much longer. And then so he he basically filmed the film he wanted to shoot. Mm-hmm. Um, but then before it could be finished and sort of edited and you know compiled into the final product, he had a family tragedy. His daughter passed mm-hmm. away. Mm-hmm. Uh, um and um he had to step away from from me finishing the mm-hmm. product warner brothers quite cynically i think took this opportunity to basically retool the entire fucking thing mm-hmm. so they went out and they got joss whedon initially i think the idea was they were going to get he's just going to come in he's just going to edit it all polish it off and mm-hmm. then release it. instead they basically gave him some money and said you can reshoot stuff if you like and could you make it less dour because mm-hmm. i think anything everyone had kind of accused snyder's films at that point in dc you have been very dour and mm. depressing and bleak um whether you agree with i don't know that was kind of a you know general opinion yeah. and so whedon whedon came in um and reshot a bunch of stuff Re-edited it. It's completely look. The film looks completely different. Mm-hmm. Um, and and the focus of the narrative is entirely different as well. The whole thing, basically, there's entire new scenes being shot for for Whedon's version, mm-hmm. and then it was released to a, a global sort of. Well, I think it was actually the critical response was maybe as bad of not worse to as was the Batman vs Superman. People hated it. It didn't mm. do well in the box office at all. No. I mean, maybe it made a profit, but I mean, we're talking the first Avengers film made one and a half billion, Endgame two point three, two point four billion, or something like that. Um, so we're talking if your film doesn't make a billion dollars now, if you've got this cast of yeah. heroes, if it's a superhero movie and it le- makes less than eight hundred and fifty million, it's considered a bomb, basically. And this film is not cheap to make, so no. um, it, it kind of bombed critically and and and, and box office wise. And mm. it, sorry, I will finish in a sec. But one of the things that was really <laughs> obvious about this was that you could see the joins. Mm. So you could see the joins between what Whedon had done, what Snyder had done. And it's very interesting now. You can do an AB comparison between the two and you can go, yep, that was that was mm-hmm. Snyder. That was Whedon. Apparently Snyder incorporated nothing into the uh, director's cut that was shot by Whedon. Mm. Uh, and you could just see the joins. I guess they, didn't, they, just don't, they don't mix, you know. Yeah. You guys, you have completely oil and water. So that is how we ended up here. Um, and I guess two things I think I think have led to this is one is COVID. Mm-hmm. Cinemas are closed, mm-hmm. and uh, you know Warner Brothers would like to make some money now, please, if they could. Mm-hmm. Um, and also streaming. Uh, mm-hmm. This platform probably couldn't have been released five years ago on it without the um, availability of a, a streaming service like HBO Max. We really, really would like you to buy their service if you're an American, but you can't buy it here. Um, and hence they have, hey, well, you know what? We've got this four-hour film. It's essentially done. We've already paid for it. It's done. It's in the can. Mm. For an extra, I've heard numbers of 15 million. I don't know what they actually, Snyder took no money to make this. Uh, <laughs> and um, so for maybe, you know, I don't know, 20 million or something i'm depending on who you ask 
I you can basically turn that four hours of footage of Snyder's already shot that's sitting there on a shelf. You could turn that into uh, a, something that people are very interested in seeing because people have been campaigning, hashtag release the Snyder Cut. Um, mm -hmm. been asking for this for a number of years. So mm. here we have before our version of the Justice League has landed on HBO Max. That's how we got to now. Uh, and that's a bit long, I know. Um, <laughs> but it's an interesting story, I think, because one of the things I was thinking while watching this is how often do we get to see this? It's so true. And um, there are there are some movies, like legendary movies, that you kind of go, oh, wow, that was messed up by studio interference. The one that always jumps to my mind is David Finch's Alien movie. Like, what would that have been like if there wasn't the the studio interference? What movie would he have delivered? That's a that would be an interesting one. The one that's now starting to come around is um, release David Ayer's version of Suicide no, Squad. Like, no. Mm, no. no, I'm okay. I'm okay. <laughs> uh, let, let James Gunn's one be all that we remember going forward. Give it some air. Mm -hmm. um, so, what is, from a, from a film <clears throat> geek's perspective? What I found fascinating watching is probably for the first couple of hours, and we'll get into the quality of the story, just like mm. the technical side of it. I mean, it's like, yeah, there's so much new stuff. So the mm -hmm. original film is uh, two hours, just about. So mm -hmm. a theatrical film, theatrical mm -hmm. release. And what do you reckon? New footage and that's 40 minutes? Maybe 30 minutes, 40 minutes? Of, of the theatrical cut? Yeah. How much I would say about half. 50-50. So an, I use an hour's mm. worth of Snyder's footage mm. in the theatrical release, and I used an hour's worth of Whedon's footage. Mm -hmm. Makes me really wonder that you look at some of the sequences that, they, that Warner Brothers and, and Whedon decided to cut from mm. that release in, in 2017. Um, uh, you got what an incredibly dispiriting thing it must have been for all the people who worked on it. So um, the sequence where we meet the Flash, mm -hmm. where saves, I, I don't know the character, saves a lady from a car crash. Mm -hmm. um, it's in probably arguably the best sequence in the film, depending who you ask. I loved it. Uh, and can you imagine how much work went into that? So essentially we have a car crash into a truck, and Flash, if you don't know who the Flash is, why are you watching his show? He's really <laughs> fast. Uh, and oh, right, well, we've seen this kind of scene before, right, with Quicksilver. Yeah. In, in the films, but he runs really fast, and he basically, time basically stands still because he's moving so quickly. And mm -hmm. he's able to rescue the, the, the driver of a car. and Iris West. Sorry, Iris West. Uh, and, you know, who I assume would arguably become a love interest in a, in a standalone Flash film that they mm -hmm. may or may not yet make. Um, and he does some other quirky stuff that was in character with you know who he is, and we learn about and there's a lot of special effects that go into that shot. Mm -hmm. And they were willing to just throw that away. Like this incredible shot, beautifully made and really sets up who the character is. And they just were gonna throw that on the floor. Mm -hmm. And if in, in a different time we would maybe it would have landed on a DVD somewhere, but we would maybe mm -hmm. have never seen this before. So there are three hours of shit. That Warner Brothers are just happy to turf. Mm. Must have cost millions of dollars to make. I wonder about this, and you know, they. I think, uh, considering a lot of stuff that's come out over the last month 
last few months about the production during this movie, the racism, sexism, and just bullying and things like that on the set from from producers, director, Joss Whedon, and things like that. Um, I wonder if they, when Zack Snyder stepped away, there were already rumours that they were kind of at a bit of loggerheads about the style and the focus for the audience of the movie. I wonder if they really took this and just went, okay, you know what? We're going to look a gift, not look a gift horse in the mouth, and we we want to refocus. We want to redo. Um, we had a success with Wonder Woman. We need to get a little bit more of that fun, jovial side into it. One start, really start yeah. divorcing ourselves from it. But when you look at all of the Zack Snyder footage from the original release, as well as everything in this, it is not one that you can really easily use that footage and just go, "Hey, isn't that fun?" <laughs> it is a lighter tone than than Batman v Superman or Man of Steel, and yeah. because he actually has a comic relief character in there, <clears throat> being the Flash, uh, I found it significantly less dour than than the other films he made, and mm-hmm. pleasingly so. And mm-hmm. while I still kind of chuckled a little bit. At the uh, the jokes in in Whedon's version, um, I they didn't fit at the same time. Um, yeah, so and they were they were divorced kind of character representations. In Joss Whedon's version, Aquaman was really kind of useless and pathetic, um, whereas this he was much more of a a superhero. Let me say he was actually better. And um, Wonder Woman's character arc made more sense who'd have thought oh, that too. Uh, before we get into the character i just okay. want to finish with one other yeah. note and i think this mm. is probably something to keep in mind and just tags on what george was just saying about we uh, snyder <coughs> needs a better, a better editor in particular mm. uh Cara kitty and says we've um miss foxy says we'll have to deal with jared leto spoilers we're going to get to him uh <laughs> and Cara kitty says jared leto has to deal with jared leto we all have to deal with ourselves, which is far worse than dealing with a stranger slash celebrity deep. Um, it's far said, too deep for our show. <laughs> as, a, uh, as I always say, as a rock star, Jared Leto makes a great actor, but here we are. Maybe that doesn't stand up quite so much anymore. Um, <laughs> the question you have to keep in mind about this film is while everybody is raving about it, relative to big, you get very positive reviews mm-hmm. for, for, we, for the Snyder Cut. Yeah. It's four hours long. Four mm-hmm. hours is what it took for mm-hmm. just to work. At two hours, it didn't work. Even with, you know, obviously Whedon's version stuff adding in, it didn't help. But mm. I don't see how this film would work at two hours, even Absolutely if right. Whedon hadn't had to leave production. He, mm. uh, you know, in, in a different right. universe, how does he slice two hours off this film and make it into something that will work? Because I severely doubt after after Batman v Superman, he was going to get this sign off on a three hour or three hour version of this film. Like the mm-hmm. the Russo brothers earned it mm-hmm. in the MCU. The MCU fucking earned three hours mm-hmm. for Endgame. It did not mm-hmm. end. It, it, Snyder had absolutely not earned it at this point. The the zeitgeist was against him. Maybe he gets two and a half hours mm-hmm. from Warner Brothers. Maybe they were really really hoping for two. So yeah, he gets, so he lops ninety minutes off this film. I don't know how this film works at two and a half hours. Yeah, 
it's that that's that's the thing that a lot of people I've been talking to have said is like, oh, it's just, it, there's, the story makes sense. So like, yeah, I want to see just as an exercise, Zack Snyder do a theatrical cut of this version of the movie because it, it would be a mess. It would be a mess. mess. There would be huge sequences dropped out. I think that um, if they were going to do it, they'd probably either um, get rid of the um, Amazon fight sequence where uh, Steppenwolf finally claims the first mother box. I think they would drop that largely and do it more as just a a blink and you'll miss it kind of story narrative. Um, I think that... Um, the elements of him, of Steppenwolf, kind of uh, kidnapping the the um, the Atlantans and things like that. That would go. I think that most of the cyborg stuff would stay because I think that's largely one of the uh, one of the strongest kind of threads throughout the whole movie, um, and it gives a bit more pathos to to one of the characters that was just. Very, very much sidelined in the in the Joss Whedon. Snyder, I think, said he's the heart of a film, and when yeah. you see this, you see that absolutely one hundred percent. I'm with you on that one, Zach. Mm-hmm. He got that one hundred percent right. I agree. Uh, agree. It's probably it's probably it probably doesn't it doesn't um matter at the end of the day. He got mm. the four hour cut it, he he wanted, and the film it, it it goes again back to the original problem with this film was they rushed it. Mm. Uh, and they suddenly realized they were shit years years behind. Um, Marvel, in that Marvel had already, you know, made a whole bunch of their films and they wanted to get to the Justice League and some of that Avengers money now. So mm. we didn't have a, a film to introduce all the characters the way that we did in the MCU. And hence he had to cram all that development into this mm-hmm. film at 4 hours, which when you watch a 4-hour version works quite well. Mm-hmm. I think um, part, of, part of DC's problem um, was the fact that when the Marvel Cinematic Universe was coming out, Chris Nolan came out with Batman Begins and then The Dark Knight, and then he finished his trilogy with arguably the weaker of the trilogy. But regardless, it set a very definite tone and people were already going, where's Superman? He's Superman has been missing off the screen for a very long time. Um, people weren't happy with how the last Superman movie, Superman Returns, was. They didn't like that. They wanted more of Chris Nolan's stuff. And meanwhile, this darker, more realistic superhero movie that Chris Nolan, universe that Chris Nolan had created and presented was at complete odds to what Marvel have done. And they had the first phase movies were largely kind of the weakest ones when you look at it because they were still finding their feet on how they're going to tell those stories how they're going to make those billion dollar movies still relatively successful um even when you look back on them but um it was dc was kind of caught on the back foot so like okay all right so we need to bring superman back to the screen everyone is wondering where it is they want to know it we know that we're going to be able to make money off of it but people also want chris nolan and chris nolan is not exactly the most a, a director that plays with the notion of hope very often it is very real and almost kind of sanitary in some ways so having the 
comics figurative, you know, in, embodiment of hope, largely, of Superman being godfathered by someone who doesn't really consider that and looks at kind of cold, hard facts of things. It's not a big fit. And then it's like, oh, shit, yeah, they're they're making billion dollar movies over at Marvel. We need to we need to speed this up. Come on, quicker, quicker, quicker. And that and that cost them in the end because they, yeah. they you can't rush these things in the sense mm. of you know um, you can get away with that with Superman because people know Superman, right? We know Batman, we know Batman. The rest mm. of it you can't rush because people don't read comic books. Like I've seen um, one of the elements of his film just to jump ahead a little bit is the anti-life equation, which is interesting. And I had to Google it afterwards. Um, but I've seen a bunch of um, arguments on Facebook going, well, 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 actually, any any comic book fan worth their salt will know exactly what the uh, anti-life equation is. <laughs> You're like, that is what, like, 0.1% of a fucking film's audience. Like, nobody knows what that is. So nobody knows who's Cyborg. I knew nothing about Cyborg. Um, the only mm-hmm. Flash story I knew was from a TV show in 1990. Um, and you know, that's not well remembered. Um, so, <laughs> you know, uh, these characters need room to breathe, you need to reintroduce even Batman. This is not Nolan's Batman, this is no. yeah, you know, Affleck uh, needed a Batman movie, mm-hmm. absolutely needed a Batman movie, he did not need Batman v Superman, he needed his own movie, mm-hmm. uh, to introduce us to who he was and his story. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, you know, so that this was a massive, I mean, I always at the time I think it was a massive miss from DC the thought that they could just suddenly jump ahead and start mm-hmm. introducing his characters on the fly at mm-hmm. a time. This is a much better job, much better job. Mm. Um, but in, in the initial theatrical version, it was through the, the PowerPoint presentation in um, Batman vs. Superman. Um, Check so out this link that I sent you. Pretty much. <laughs> video. So that was all we got. This is much better in the sense that we now, like Cyborg was given really short shrift, which, He's actually quite fascinating when you combine it with, as you said, the the allegations made against Joss Whedon by mm-hmm. Ray Fisher um, during production. You kind of go, well, if you look at the final product, kind of with Ray here, right? Like, because there's so much stuff. That he and he actually came across as kind of whiny and annoying in in the theatrical cut, but he came across mm-hmm. as much more human in this. Yeah, uh, in a lot of ways, and his, his motives are significantly better explained. At it. Mm. You understand where he's coming from. Um, it, it all makes just makes more sense. It's in context. Context yeah. matters. I mean, mm-hmm. I know a lot of people said the Flash was annoying in the theatrical version. I didn't think so. I found mm. him okay. I like Ezra Miller. Mm. I think he's a great choice as the Flash. Um, but again, even with that with that extra scene I was talking about, where he saves. Um, the, the rescues the driver of a car. Who, sorry, I not gonna. I'm not gonna remember her name until I see the Flash movie. Um, it's brilliantly done, and it's it really establishes his character wonderfully. And he's not as goofy in this. He's funny, but not goofy. Yeah, uh, which is the right tone for him in this in this in this film. Um, the meeting between Affleck and Aquaman. Mm-hmm. You know, I think in the uh, uh, Joss Whedon, when they did reshoots, I didn't realize that was a reshoot. They did mm. a reshoot in the uh, the Justice League, um, where he um, he goes, "Yo, I hear you talk to fish." Yeah, um, I think it was supposed to be a joke, um, but it didn't I'm work. So, I'm so glad that all of that stuff was taken out. The 
uh, and and the sequence in the uh, the Justice League version where he's like, uh, "Can you uh, just you know uh, go out? Uh, do do you talk to fish?" This is like, "Oh come on, Batman is supposed to be the world's greatest detective. He wouldn't ask dumb questions like that. Get it out of there! Come on." Uh, Batman still, I think, is the weakest link in this film for me. Um, I don't. I think I actually had this conversation with you when we announced it. Like we announced the film, it's like. How does Batman make himself useful in a fight mm. between superheroes? He has no powers, and mm. unlike um, the MCU, he, we, yeah, we have we have. Well, they have the same problem with Black Widow, and they have Hawkeye, who don't actually have any powers. I think it's kind of they still do a pretty good job of making them feel useful, you know. Um, yeah. But this film, I mean, I always wondered how Batman, you know, could actually be a useful uh, ally, and you sort of always said he would be the general. He mm. would go. Like, plans and the equipment and facilitating things to happen mm. he kind of does that in parts but when we get down to it he stands on the sidelines shooting people with a laser gun and mm. i kind of feel ripped off because batman is the most popular hero they have in dc or it's the most marketable mm. and they can't think of anything useful for him to do yeah um i think if they if they really wanted to tell a motherbox dark side anti life equation saga, they needed an independent Batman movie. A before they did Justice League, they could have had it between the two movies. They could have had a really fucking cool, hyper intense one night in Gotham kind of thing, just following Batman right after sort of like. You know, the world didn't fucking stop. That all of the the psychopathic villains in Gotham didn't stop being psychopathic villains just because Superman died. They would have taken the opportunity to go. Yes, Batman wouldn't have had an opportunity to stop. They could have brought in a little bit more of the psychological breakdown that could very well happen and drive the character of Batman, Bruce Wayne, and just like a, a movie set over the course of just one night like two days after the death of Superman, just to help seed a little bit more of that kind of uh, characteristic and, or the, the breakdown of his character or the, the rebuilding of him to be more of a general and be willing to take a, a step back. They could have done something more with that. I think that would have been smart, but they didn't. And I think the film suffers for it i mean i think yeah. it suffered a lot less and i th i think that poor ben affleck really suffers because he physically and he is a great batman he's uh, great with, again the warehouse scene in batman, batman is arguably the best action sequence in any batman film period um uh, and like all of us are like oh hang on a second i was hating this film to this point but hang on Hang on, I think I'm on board with Batfleck now. Like, and you're right, he plays a older, grislier Batman, probably better than the older Batman that Bale played in Dark Knight Rises in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of potential there. They wasted, they pissed it against the wall. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> I know exactly what reference you're talking about there, uh, <laughs> and I approve. Um, <laughs> the strongest point of DC films usually mm. are the villains. And we've had some mm -hmm. conversation about some of the villains today. We'll get to, 
to Jared Leto Dylan in a minute. But mm-hmm. what did you make of the updated Steppenwolf? Visually improved, but still not compelling. But having being able to actually tell a bit more of a sympathetic story arc and just have even just nuggets of things, the reasons why he's doing this come through where he is talking to Desaad and he is uh, presented before Darkseid. Um, and just suddenly went, okay, there's more at stake for this guy. He's not just a big goon that's been sent by... Uh, by Darkseid to take over, uh, to take the mother boxes and reclaim them for Darkseid. He's actually doing this because he has lost favor with Darkseid. And there's more of a desperation and a personal desire to do this. It's not necessarily, I'm just doing this because my boss said so. Because I'm evil. And <laughs> yeah. I like just like conquering worlds. It's what I do on the weekend. Yeah. Um, it's, it, it makes a lot more sense. He has mm. motivation and. We talked mm-hmm. at length on the show about how Marvel's weakest link today has been its villains. Um, you know, generic Marvel villain number four hundred and sixty-seven, like mm-hmm. the guy oh, in um, it's it's Iron, evil Iron Man two point Yeah, or like the guy in Ant Man who was just like, what? He was like the most generic villain of all time. <laughs> Wait, um, which one? <laughs> the first one. Right? I didn't get the actor's oh, name. Right? The yellow yellow the jacket, yellow jacket uh, right? Um, yeah. So the only time I've really got it right is with Loki. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of the Netflix shows, which mm-hmm. aren't canon anymore, so um, don't mention them. Um, but also, you know, I mean, they just knocked it out of the park with Thanos, mm-hmm. um, which is ironic considering Thanos is a ripoff of Darkseid. Yes, um, <laughs> they got in first in the movies, and that's all that matters at the end of the mm-hmm. day. Um, but they did do a reasonably job, as good a job as they could have done, mm-hmm. to making him have some motives, other than, like I said, just being evil. Um, and I didn't like his look. Vis- I mean, everyone dissed his look in the first film. I didn't bother me quite so much. I kind of thought the, sh- mm. the CGI was kind of shitty. Mm. His character, but at least he had a, a reason for what he was doing. It wasn't a great mm-hmm. reason, but it was a reason. Yeah, and that counts for something. Which is, if I had said, um, you're no better than me because you're a comic book reader. But as I said, DC have the best villains, mm-hmm. and. Usually they get that right. And in this film, it was, eh, I don't know. In hindsight, was Steppenwolf the best choice available to him? Maybe not. For Again, if, because when you, you you start reading some of the stuff that Zack Snyder wanted to do with Justice League 2 and 3 and going into the nightmare world, and he's like, he had this grand epic, and we've both talked about how Kevin Feige has got a room somewhere covered with post-it notes on how every one thing leads to another leads to another. Zack Snyder's got that. But I think he's got it all in his head, and trying to explain that to other people, he's not very good at. Um, and I think his grand story arc steppenwolf is kind of a good idea because of where he sits in the pantheon of extra dimensional intergalactic villains that can pose some form of threat that is that experience boosting bad guy you get in the game where you're gonna probably die against him the first time you go up and then you start getting some of his quirks and then you do it and then you suddenly, boom, I'm into the next stage. The le- the difficulty level has gone from normal to hard. 
but I still feel like a badass. And I get why they did that. But they, I, so I, because the Suicide Squad movie came out before this and they had like elements of the old gods suggested in that movie. And the old gods versus the new gods is a really, really cool in the comics. And if they had gone with um, actually presenting the bad guys in Suicide Squad as old gods versus new gods, then it would have made more sense as to why everything else comes in and they could have actually brought in Steppenwolf as more of a viable threat independently. There's there's a lot that they should have done, but they didn't. Um, for the movie that they made, I think that um, Dark, Side, Dark Side would have been a mistake. No, you probably don't want to start at the top, because, again, mm. Ancy did that well, and the first Avengers film was Loki. But the mm-hmm. interesting thing there was we had a personal connection to Loki because we'd met him before. We'd had a yes. whole film about his relationship with him and Thor. They're brothers. Mm. We know them. Tom Hiddleston was fucking great in the role. Mm-hmm. It worked really, really well. Ultron. Ultron really well. It wasn't a great film, but I think Ultron was a good villain, done well by James Spader, but mm-hmm. a better film, maybe he would have been better. But, yeah, yeah. Um, you, you don't want to jump straight to Thanos. Um, yeah, and the, I, the other thing for it, sorry, just to cut you off quickly, yeah. is okay. by not using it, I think that that was probably one of the golden rules that Warner Brothers came down on Zack Snyder early on to say is, like, don't, use dark side because they came out with a middling to mild success of man of steel the underperforming batman v superman Zack snyder was on shaky ground they didn't want to blow the big big bad on Zack snyder and go fuck um we can't reintroduce dark side for another 10 years because it fucked up in that yeah, yeah you can't reboot it that quickly and, and yeah of something a little bit so lower this risk. is sort um, of like ah one of his generals yeah we're willing to put that puts throw steppenwolf on the sacrificial fire and i thought that was a smart choice it just yeah i don't know it didn't i mean at least in the theatrical version he had his motivations were murky and terrible mm-hmm. and he looked people thought he looked terrible you know yeah. Uh, there's that scene um, in the theatrical cut, which I'm so glad it's gone in in this one. It's like him where he's chasing after the Amazonian's mother box and he's like talking to, to the queen. And so like, you will love me. It's like, what? Creepy. What the fuck? Um, What do you (laughs) make dark sides portrayal in this? I kind of thought it looked shit house. It was classic dark side, not theatrical, not sort of like not cinematic in a way, and especially considering the generally muted colors that Zack Snyder uses, it just doesn't look as empowering. I liked the brief bits that I got. I didn't think it was shit. Um, I feel like it. The problem that they used and it was a problem with steppenwolf as well is like they and and the um the paratroops as well uh parademons sorry they wanted them to look so realistic and yet they're fucking aliens you can go weird you can have weird colors with them it's okay to go weird when you're going in fucking space the same problem was with um 
the Green Lantern movie when they went to OA and you had all these Green Lantern aliens from all over the place. They went crazy with the species. And it's like the stuff on OA in the Green Lantern movie is the best part of it. The CGI of their Green Lantern Corps uniforms, not so much, but the 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 way that like Kilowog and um, Jeffrey Rush's character, they look and the way they move, it's more interesting. Visually, it's more as more pleasing and interesting than what we had with Steppenwolf or Dark Side. So some of the stuff that I was really, really liked about this, because I think I've been a, a little critical in the last couple of bits, but um, the fight scene, you mentioned it earlier, the, mm-hmm. the Amazon, the battle between the Amazons and Darkseid and his crew, mm-hmm. way more brutal, way mm-hmm. better. And I don't feel like it was a lot longer. Um, maybe yeah, a little, not really, not a whole lot longer. Mm-hmm. And it made the Amazons look a whole lot more, but look a lot more badass than they were mm-hmm. in the original. They're quite pathetic in the theatrical, mm-hmm. make them look lame and like, yeah. Why? Yeah, it's like okay, that's lame. Like they're defending this majorly important thing, and they kind of suck. Um, <laughs> by the same token, Wonder Woman's fight scene where she she t- battles the terrorists, mm. taking uh, hostages, ch- school children hostages, in the bank. That was actually a great, reasonably good scene in the theatrical version. But mm-hmm. it's bumped up to eleven in this because she looks mm-hmm. fucking badass in this film. Yep. like uh, way more badass. Patty Jenkins needs to fucking go back to school and take notes about what, what Snyder did with her in this. I know Snyder took some criticism at the time, like, oh, he's overly sexualized the Amazons in this film. Um, but I didn't notice that. But, but I mean, compared to Wonder Woman 84, mm. she could have oh. used a scene like this. This is a classic. I know we, mm. when we talked about Wonder Woman 84, we're like, oh, it's a throwback to the old style 80s mm. hero Goofy but this is kind of this is the kind of film scene I could have seen in a, mm-hmm. a Superman film from you know Christopher Reeve Superman film. Mm. I could have seen something like this, but um, she's such a badass in this scene, and like yeah, and I really like that she's like really brutal as well. Like she beats the shit out of these um, terrorists, and like she flings him in the walls, and there were bloodstains left in the walls, and I was like, yeah, that's exactly what I want to see. Like she doesn't take no prisoners. Yeah, that's that's one thing you. <laughs> You, you put on something that just, I'm watching it again now, and it now grates me. Every single fight, every single fight, someone gets thrown into a wall and gets embedded in it. Like, what? Why? What? Why is that the go-to move that is in every has, single fucking fight? What has Zack Snyder got against walls? <laughs> no, it's so annoying. It's like throwing people through walls. It's like he's thing. It is so annoying. Every single superhero and every single other character involved in a fight sequence gets embedded into the walls or stairs. And it's like, come on. I know that you're doing that to just show how much velocity is being thrown at them. But not every fight needs it. It's okay. Needless to say, that <laughs> fight scene again, yes. not a whole lot longer in the no. Snyder Cut than it was in the theatrical cut. So, why? And Wonder Woman comes off a lot better in this. Like, mm-hmm. they sort of nerfed it in the in the theatrical cut. In mm-hmm. This version, he comes across as a serious badass. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe if they'd left the, 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 the wall throwing to cut this thing with Wonder Woman in it, kind of, she looks like a badass who's not taken any prisoners 
mm. with these terrorists who just had to blow up a building and kill a bunch of people. Um, though that said, the way she dispatches of a last terrorist is a little bit of overkill. Where she does the whole whatever yeah. her bangs her, her wrist and like blows the side of a building off when like you, you're faster than bullets. We've seen that. Why don't you just punch the guy to throw him into a wall? Yeah, throw him to the floor. Yes, you know, like throw him to the floor. Um, you know, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, him to the floor, Steppenwolf. Throw him to the floor. Um, you know, I'm sure that would have done the job, but so that was a little bit. Um, that was a little bit. That was very Snyder-esque because people mm. criticized Man of Steel for yes. being very over the top with the amount of destruction involved. Mm-hmm. Um, in 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 that um that film so he you know, he learned no lessons from that. he did it again here um anyway, but overall those two scenes like for maybe mm-hmm. i don't know two minutes extra screen time i, I didn't time it but mm. two minutes extra we have completely established the amazons as badasses mm-hmm. and and wonder woman is a complete badass mm-hmm. and that's what you want you want your heroes to look like badasses i think yeah. I'll tell you one uh, one sequence that initially I thought, oh, that's annoying. That I I liked that one, but then the payoff was much better. Was the Flash when they rescue the hostages? I really liked the interaction that he has. It's like I I usually just push people and run away, and then Batman just says save one, and he does, and then it just clicks and he saves them all. That was cool. Um, and not seeing that little moment in this, I was like, oh. And then having the sequence where he's just running up and down the stairs, kind of going, come on, hurry up, quicker. It's like, oh, come on. The Flash would not just do that. He would, he cleared an entire fucking city when a nuclear bomb was going to be landed on it in 0.01 seconds because the Martian Manhunter went fucking crazy. That was an amazing sequence in the comics. And then they go, oh, yeah you thought we were going to leave him without a hero moment. And then the fucking moment where he's just like momentary kind of glimpses as he's stopping all of that debris coming down on them. That looked fucking cool. It was interesting. Cause like I said earlier, um, the, the guy who moves so fast, everything is standing still mm-hmm. thing has been done. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, probably definitively by Quicksilver in days of future past. Mm-hmm. Uh, I felt the Marvel Quicksilver was lame. Mm-hmm. Um, probably because they cast Aaron Taylor Johnson, and he's terrible. Um, very wood. Um, but this it really didn't feel derivative. It felt mm. fresh in a yeah. way it had no right to be. Yeah, like even the scene where one woman drops her sword, and he gets a sprint around the side, he gets a plunk, and yep. so her sword starts to move back towards her. I think that was in the Whedon cut, but I can't yeah. remember. But at the same time, it's still really effective, and obviously, mm-hmm. again. Snyder put nothing that Whedon shot in this, so obviously it was his choice. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, th- uh, I, I love the fact that they showed the Flash powers in multiple ways, like the the car accident with Iris West at the start. They super slow motion, and it, you see him just smiling as he enjoys just kind of looking at things around. So like, ah, oh, sausage, I'll put that in. That will help me later on. Being super delicate to make sure that she comes down gentle. And then you've got other little pepperings like where he slows everything down to grab the, the batarang out of the sky. And then this sequence where the debris, and it's just 
time is not slowed down. You're just seeing him moving so fucking fast with the blue lightning everywhere. He's just an after image repeatedly all over the place. It's like, cool. Yes. You don't need to go. Yes. This is how we're always going to represent his power. We can show it in different ways. It's fantastic. I don't want to take too long on this. I think it's mm. fair. We like it. Mm. Can we talk about the pro the epilogue? Unneeded. The epilogue was complete trash. Am I wrong? I really liked everything that it was setting up. That story we're never going to fucking see. It was entirely unnecessary in this release. They could have just happily just gone, yep, we are going to release this little snippet of once was the DCEU launching pad. They utterly didn't need it. They didn't need to go forwards. And yes, I get that they wanted to have another little element of having Martian Manhunter come in and just talk to Bruce Wayne at the end. It's like, okay, fine, sure, you really need to do that. You don't really need to fucking do that. The, the in Martian Manhunter makes two appearances in this film. Mm-hmm. Once partway through the film after shape-shifting into Martha Kent, mm-hmm. thoroughly confused me. And I'd suggest it's possibly the worst scene in the film apart from the epilogue in a sense that if you don't know who that is, you are not going to I know. didn't. Mm-hmm. My first thought was, why are scrolls in this film? <laughs> that's what he looks like. In Captain Marvel, we have Marvel things. So um, I'm like, hang on a second. What is that? Why is that? A, is that a parody? It's not a paradigm. Why? What, what is that? Mm. Uh, and there's no explanation for that. And it's actually a nice scene before that. So you're like, mm. what? That, so that scene completely does not work. Um, but um, yeah, the post credit scene, unless we find out who it is, Martian Manhunter. Mm. So the post credit sequences, the epilogue. Mm. The epilogue consists of uh, the original post credit scene, which included Lex Luthor meeting Deathstroke, mm-hmm. um, uh, and someone who shall remain nameless. Asked me, wasn't he in Suicide Squad? I'm like, no, that was Deadshot. Completely different. <laughs> uh, and you are um, not being named or ashamed at all. No, um, but uh, you know, they both start with D. Um, <laughs> but then we also have the a, a follow-on, I guess, or a continuation mm-hmm. of the nightmare sequence from Batman v Superman, where mm-hmm. Batman sort of has a, a dream of a apocalyptic future where Superman's gone bad and works mm-hmm. with Darkseid. Yes, one we could say, yeah. uh, and that is the scene that um, that um, we were talking about earlier with Jared Leto as the mm-hmm. Joker. They, they reshot some scenes recently separately. Affleck and, and Leto shot the scene separately. Mm-hmm. Um, where Joker, we, we have Batman, we have Flash, we have Deathstroke, and mm-hmm. Amber Heard. Yep, um, and they are hiding from a oh, cyborg as well. Sorry, and yes. they're hiding from from from. We can only assume that we'll find out later about Superman. Mm. Um, and there's a conversation takes part place between Batman and Jared Leto, who's been kept prisoner, I guess, is the kind of the angle they're going for there. And it's actually an interesting conversation between the two mm. of them. Um, and in a better film, or in a, in a better place in the film, maybe. Mm. I don't know how to describe it. It, it might In a world where a sequel was going to take place, mm. I would it have been, would have been good. good. But we know that's never going to happen. So, mm. well, almost certain it's never going to happen because Snyder says he's done. Mm. I wonder if, because it's still going to take a long time before the 
DCEU is rebuilt and reestablished and they still desperately want HBO Go to be a success, I wonder if they will go the animation route and go, you know what, we're not going to do the $200 million live-action movie. We can get the actors to come back to do the voices, or if they're too expensive, then we'll get someone who sounds similar to them, and we'll just tell that story, and we'll just release it on HBO. And if they're successful, then we can release them simultaneously in the cinema as well if people are really interested, really excited about it. That way we're honouring the Zack Snyder cut, but we're also leaving the door open so that we can move on to other things in the cinema if we want to. I wouldn't hold my breath, but it would be mm. interesting to see from mm. a, a fan of the Animatrix, which we talk about regularly. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. think it would be fascinating to see something like that. Yeah. Um, then the final sequence in the epilogue is Martian Manhunter turning up at Bruce Wayne's house and letting him know, hey, I'm, I'm around. Mm-hmm. Here's a picture. Give me a call. You know, um, which if it, if I was Batman and there's just this green floating guy comes down and he's like, I've been known as a Martian Manhunter. I was like, Oh, where the fuck were you a few days ago? Well, I've been known as your fucking mama. Is what I've been known as. <laughs> uh, so, um, Did you realize yeah, what it, shit we had to do? I was looking for meta humans, and you didn't. Oh no, sorry. No, I need to go and have a talk with you. You're going to be on the customer service desk for the next six weeks <laughs> at the hall of justice. That's what you've earned. Uh, I would just like to acknowledge we have a, a philosopher in the audience tonight. We have character mm-hmm. enlightenment can only be achieved without desire. Desiring enlightenment makes it impossible. Continuing the circle of nope. Um, <laughs> that is far too intelligent for, 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 for my puny brain at this time. All I know is that fear leads to anger, anger leads to hate, hate leads to suffering, and suffering leads to the dark side. That is the Sif code, right? <laughs> That's the ABCs of how to be a Sith. I think I would choose Sith. Um, but... <laughs> That was the epilogue. It really was the weakest part of a film. While from a technical perspective or a film historian's perspective, mm. which we kind of are, yeah. um, I found it interesting as an artifact of mm. what the, because as you sort of said, it was going to be a saga of two or three or four films, mm-hmm. as you, depending who you listen to and when. Yeah. Um, it was an, an interesting exploration of what those films would have gone with. Mm. And I remember that the, the nightmare sequence in Batman and the Superman confused the living fuck out of me. What is this? And what is it supposed to be? What are those flying things? Like, um, <laughs> Which I still think is a fundamental weakness. Of it. You can't plan a scene like that that confuses the fuck out of your audience. Um, and you know, wait two years, it'll make sense. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, and um, another, another attempt, you know, mm. another... Um, uh, uh, you, so I'm yeah. trying to say this. This, this is a perfect fodder for DVD extra material, and it's like, yep, cool. That I'm glad that I was able to see that. The movie did not need it. It just, just didn't. Much like the overly extended um, war, where we see the old gods and the Atlanteans and I the humans. That. that was badass. It was fucking badass. Yes, it was really cool. And it made, I thought that that was a much better superhero clashing with uh, CGI villains than what was presented in Endgame, honestly. 
I thought it was cool. I didn't have any investment in any of the superheroes, but it just, from a visual perspective, it looked cool. And again, I think they were planting seeds there. Mm. So uh, I well, think you got the seed of the Green Lantern in there. Lantern, a little ring going and taking mm-hmm. off. You got uh, the old I even gods. Like Zeus, Zeus looking the lightning thing. He looked like um, Jerry Butler. Uh, it wasn't, but it looked like him. <laughs> uh, like that's kind of cool. I want to see more of that. Like you yeah. know, that that's um, the old gods, and they're they're really cool characters that are intrinsic to the. The kind of combat with dark side and the anti-life equation like <sighs> it was it was a cool scene you're right it goes on but mm. i didn't that didn't worry me because i i was enjoying it and i'm like this is way more i think they covered similar territory in the theatrical cup it was it with was, steppenwolf and he he was driven mad because he lost <clears throat> and it, it wasn't it wasn't dark side and no. it wasn't anywhere near as epic and i kind of thought in terms of epic battle scenes i come to the well i liked it Hmm. Yeah, um, uh, it was great. But I think that I also don't think that if if you cut that out and just had conversation of Diana just telling Bruce that, I don't think it would have been a huge disservice to the movie and it would have just sped things up a, a little bit. There you go. That is, I think, unless you've got anything else major to... Oh, sorry, Karaki. And I only know of enlightenment from my uh, over-reading... Uh, my personal mentality uh, is much messier than that. Um, well, I mean, one's personal mentality can be, you know, you, you can have aspirational goals in that space. That's that's fine. Um, I I was to say, is there anything? Is there anything else, unless there's anything else you'd like to cover about or any sort of major points that we think we've missed? I think it's. I think it was a fascinating from a historical perspective. Mm-hmm. As a film lover, as a superhero film lover. Mm-hmm. I'm glad it happened. I'd like mm-hmm. to see more of it. Look, mm-hmm. honestly, maybe I, I honestly, if they released a David Ayres cut of of Suicide Squad, I'd watch the shit out of it just because, like, mm. how the fuck did this atrocity come about? Because that film is terrible. Mm. Um, and he uh, he hates that. He hates the theatrical cut. Um, I wonder if this is going to kind of open up a little bit of that. Meanwhile, in Universe B, <laughs> it, also, it also sort of set starting because gives us an, a, a, a mm. wonderful reference point to know when a director says the studio fucked with this. This is what that can look like. Mm-hmm. This is in this case, you have three quarters of what Snyder shot thrown away. Mm-hmm. So it gives us a, a wonderful, a wonderful reference point to look at the future. You sort of said it was sort of a cliche. You know, mm. a David, an Alan Smithy film. You know, the, the you know the the, the uh, Fincher version of Alien Three, or mm-hmm. what am I thinking? Supernova, I think. Um, yeah, a really science fiction film from about twenty years ago. But I think it was an yeah, Alan Smithy right. film where the director is kicked out of the uh, editing suite and the studio takes over. And this is the, a wonderful A B example of what that can look like in reality. Mm. Uh, now, we have apparently mm. a few people still watching, and I still have you talking. <laughs> yeah. Do you have enough energy for Falcon versus Winter Soldier? Audience, do you have enough energy for Falcon oh. Winter Soldier? Oh. I think that we should hold off, honestly, because still getting over me, me upset to me, 
and needing sleep. And there is a dog here that is quietly protesting that I haven't given him any uh, his dinner yet. Sleep. Hello, Archimedes. Uh, this is our third co-host, who you can see is contributing mm -hmm. uh, at a at a normal level, mm -hmm. uh, what he normally would for the show. <laughs> <laughs> so there um, you go. I think we will hold over then. Yes. Uh, Falcon Winter Soldier. We will review episode one and two next, next week, week yes. along with Bright Young Things. Mm hmm. Yeah, I think it's. Uh, it's I think they go. They go hand in hand. Those two two topics. Thirties <laughs> <laughs> drama and you know a superhero film. Yeah. Um, he needs more input screen time. George or Archimedes. Um. You know. <laughs> Archimedes, yeah, producers have really been cutting Archimedes material over there in King Lake. Well, frankly, the the problem is, and you know, um, there's there's something he's terribly racist. Speaking of people who are giving knowledge, <laughs> <laughs> um, so you cover what we've got. We can cover a brief note though. Mm. Um, we won't go into Falcon and Winter Soldier, but while we're dipping mm. our toe into the Marvel Universe, we did get an interesting announcement today mm. um, that uh, the um, long-awaited announcement around the next Marvel film has finally been made. Um, we talked about it ad nauseum, but Black Widow will be landing on mm -hmm. Disney Plus this July. Yeah, and, and it feels like only last week, um, Kevin Feige was kind of saying, nope, it's going to be cinema only, but no, it's going to be dual. But this is another one of those things. Disney are charging you $30 on top of your subscription to go and do this. So it's them going, oh, you, you want it at home? You're going to have to pay. Otherwise, you can pay less by going to the cinema and watching it. I mean, you and I, being that we're in a privileged position of living in a country with zero COVID at the moment. Mm-hmm. Touch wood, um, you know, uh, we can probably. I imagine it'll get a cinema release here about the same time, and we can mm -hmm. go pick out cinema to go and see it in. We can go mm -hmm. see it in a nice, big, fancy pants cinema. Hopefully, with no one sitting next to us. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we weirdos like that. I don't like people sitting next to me. I don't um, like people in my screens. My favorite birthday was going to see Kill Bill Volume 2, and I was in the cinema all on my own. It was wonderful. Whereas, like, you and I had to go and see Endgame, and we're literally in the fucking front row. It sucks. Oh. Um, well, it was a good film, but yeah. Um, yeah. But it's interesting. I think that it's interesting they're testing that model again. Mm. Well, they did, did it, it with... Yeah, they did it with Mulan. They've done it with Raya and the Last Dragon, which is the, the new Disney animated movie. They didn't do it with Soul, Pixar's movie. They didn't do it with um, Onward, the other Pixar movie. And now they're doing it with Marvel. It's like, okay, they're, they're only choosing the Disney, the, the in-house Disney stuff. So far, they haven't tried doing it with any of the 20th Century Fox stuff that they've purchased or any of the Pixar stuff that they own. It's only been Disney, which is odd. Um, the next Pixar film, uh, Luca, will also be going straight to Disney Plus, but will not attract that premium fee. Mm -hmm. $30 is rich. I don't have Disney yeah. Plus for, you know, the reasons I've talked about before. I have mm -hmm. the others, and uh, I'm not paying for another one. Yeah. Um, and if I did, Netflix, Netflix don't do this, right? Mm -mm. If they, I mean, if they had a, a new major IP release, mm -hmm. and I wanted 30 bucks extra on top of my my subscription mm. be like you can go and fuck yourself netflix 
Yeah. That, that you are basically telling me pirate this film by charging $30 extra. Yeah. And, and yeah. Amazon do it, kind of, but Amazon bit. subscription is infinitely cheaper than all of the other ones, and you get additional uh, bonuses on Prime deals and things like that. But it's no more to get those than any other platform. You're not paying $30 to rent it. It's it's outrageously expensive, and I, I mm. just, I mean, obviously that was the argument behind Fire Get Retire, and I guess others were like, well, you know, we're going to be losing so much money mm -hmm. if we release it straight to Disney+, Plus, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I wonder if they've finally done it because more of the countries are now heavily reducing their COVID cases, maybe not enough in America, but they're kind but, of going, oh, yeah. we need to release it we need to we'll have to do it at a point where to avoid piracy of this it's cinema and anywhere that can't isn't able to go to cinema they can still get it i wonder but if I that's their mentality it's going to be available straight away right like mm. i mean um pirated but um mm. but, i mean we talked we talked at nauseam as well but china is such a huge market now for for these films um avatar was just recently re-released uh, in China, and that um, that prompted it to now go back to being the highest-grossing film of all time, which it absolutely mm. does not deserve to be. But no, what are we not sure. So, I mean, if you get release of Black Widow in China, I don't think it involves any ghosts or anything. Probably not going to have any content that the Chinese mm. government, I think, would find objectionable. So, yeah, if it gets a release in China, there's a several hundred million dollars. Yeah, you know, uh, in your back pocket. Mm -hmm. uh, Miss Foxy B is selling said binge is the worst one for basic. Uh, package and they're, they're shit quality unless you upgrade to uh, I think you're talking about the H, upgrading to the HD service I think there uh, Mr. Foxy I've, so. I've got their binge uh, where I was watching uh, Zack Snyder's Justice League and I've had no problems with it Is that the and SD version or the HD version? I can't remember I think it's the HD version Yeah I think that's the issue I think if you have the SD version mm. the, the picture quality can be pretty I, shit out really don't see why they are offering SD as an option anymore when it should be so like 1080p HD as the basic and then it's like 4K, 8K and everything else above. Money. Yeah. I like money. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and as usual, we pay the Australia tax. That's, that's um, very true. So we pay extra for everything because money. Uh, and <laughs> like money. Um, but um, that's an interesting argument. It's like mm. maybe the Black Widow will get a release in places like China and Europe, and probably mm -hmm. not Europe, but China at least, and that could mm. help gross. And, mm -hmm. Or they've just gone, fuck it, you know, right? We, like, I mean, I guess they're looking at it going, the U.S. Um, vaccination efforts aren't going to have Mm -hmm. aren't going to be at a point where they can have wide cinema reopenings mm -hmm. and have the kind of cinematic, you know, um, release they would like mm -hmm. uh, in a summer movie in, in, in the Northern Hemisphere anytime this year. So if they want to wait for a summer release, they're going to have to either put it on on Disney or wait till next mm -hmm. year. And they ain't waiting until next year. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that that's that's also part of it is they've waited so long and they've got these other movies, the Eternals and all of these other big cinema movies that 
yeah it's like oh fuck um we really need to release these movies or else it fucks with the storytelling timeline of these of phase four isn't it interesting that the, that the american summer is the big movie release period like isn't that the kind of like the time of year like an australian period like that's december january february which is a dead zone for major cinematic mm. release usually um because people like being outside in the summer i I don't, not me, not us. I went outside once. The graphics sucked. Um, (laughs) You know, um, like, what's that side? You know, but like people apparently, I've heard, um, like the outdoors. So um, there's a simple reason, Travis. Longest school holidays are in the summer months and money. And say, but yeah, I mean, the money is the end goal, but I would have thought, well, like, you'd be easier to go out and you'd be more tempted to go out to an indoorsy activity in the winter. But Miss Foxy B makes a point we can't leave without a snow issue. If you've snowed in, I guess, then maybe mm-hmm. that makes it hard to go to the cinema. But anyway, I was excited about that. I'm excited to mm-hmm. see Black Widow. We've been waiting now, if it's been delayed by almost a year. Mm-hmm. Um, so it'll be, be fascinating to see Marvel's first female led superhero film. Since mm-hmm. Electra. <laughs> Ooh, shade being thrown. I had to watch that film. <laughs> Actually, no, I, I'm saying the fact that you didn't mention Captain Marvel. Oh, you forgot about that one. Um, <laughs> yeah. That, that was probably a positive. <laughs> All right. Well, First there is one other thing that I'm going to be talking about next week. Sorry. Another movie coming out in the cinema that I will be talking about next week. Godzilla vs. Kong. They're coming out next week. It's coming out this week. Really? Yeah. I wonder if it's going to be playing in my local. I'm going to have to check it out. Because I have, I didn't particularly enjoy the first Godzilla, but Godzilla King of Monsters, I really enjoyed. And Kong Skull Island, I enjoyed. They're guilty pleasures of mine. Fuck you all for if you don't like them. And this, I think it could be fun. I mean, it'd be, it, it, yeah, I, I have absolutely, I mean, I didn't like, uh, I didn't like Godzilla. Uh, mm-hmm. I didn't like Skull Island. Um, there's a very, very good chance I won't like this, but I'm going to try and find, I will try. I think this is more fun when we've both seen the thing. So mm. I will try and find space in my very busy schedule to check it out. Cool. All right, and there. So yeah, so this week we uh, reviewed our chain movie of the week, which was Night of the Generals. We're going to be. I recommended Travis watch Monster, the anime. Uh, we're going to be watching Bright Young Things next week. We have had a big deep dive into Justice League Zack Snyder's version. Next week we'll be talking Bright Young Things, uh, Godzilla, and episode one and two of Falcon and Winter Soldier. Um. I've got one. I'm going to leave people with one last complaint about Justice League that I completely forgot about, mm. and, and I apologize. But they had J.K. Simmons in that film. They had J.K. Simmons mm-hmm. available. And that's all they did with him. Commissioner Gordon, and he was. I was like, maybe the Snyder Cut will have more than two scenes. Which he was one scene. So we got double the scenes. We got two scenes mm-hmm. with J.K. Simmons. But I'd say five minutes of screen time. Mm-hmm. Fuck you. Don't cast J.K. Simmons if all you're going to give us is five minutes of screen time. 
I think I think that was again kind of legacy stuff where he was going to be a much more vital Probably, element yeah. of the Batman Netflix. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I, I it, so, uh, if you like, we had a few people watching this week. Thank mm. you. Uh, yeah, thank you. Uh, are non regular visitors. Um, enjoyed the chat between everybody in the chat. Mm-hmm. Love us on the Facebook, and I'm going to tell George right now. Give him 30 seconds paste the facebook link in the chat so you can find us on the facebook uh <laughs> it's gonna be easier than me reading it um because i can't remember facebook.com uh put it in the chat facebook.com um, slash uh, armchair producers and you can find us on there and like us we'll be here on twitch and the youtubes and the facebooks um most weeks uh about the same time so 7 30 p.m australian eastern stand time are we standing every day savings i can't remember uh, australian, australian melbourne time just look at google google yeah. melbourne time australia like australia time australian melbourne time because australian time could be perth um and they are 25 <laughs> years behind melbourne it's true um, they've only just explored electricity it is you know i i think elvis has just hit um so <laughs> You, uh, if you like us on the Facebook, uh, follow us on either Twitch or YouTube, and you'll probably get alerts and all that kind of bizzo about um, us going live. Um, you know, if there's something in particular you're curious about, like we do do requests. Mm-hmm. Like, we, like we had a request a while ago to watch a movie, and he actually watched it and reviewed it. So mm-hmm. if it's something you'd like to hear us talk about, drop it on one of those channels, and yes, we please. will see if we can find it. Otherwise, links are in the chat. I managed to do it. Link. <laughs> um, or there, depending on which way you're watching. Um, thank you, everyone, for watching. Thank you to my glorious co-host in his uh, very fashionable yellow shirt. <laughs> Available. You just message us and we'll get them sent out to you. <laughs> <laughs> Facebook link is broken. No. Uh all right, it might be Flight of the Dragons. Uh, there's a Flight classic. of Dragons is amazing. Hard to find though. Hard to uh, find. Is it? Uh, I, I feel like it's on DVD and stuff. Is it? Is because I remember trying to find it, and it was I had to I had to find it um, through um, uh, less than legal matters but this was about 12 years ago so it can be purchased or rented from the youtubes goodness me oh. nope i don't want flights of the concords or flights no, of the no, no, cool. it's a little bit different yeah yeah <laughs> some dance floor i don't know if that was in in flight of the dragons you know that would be an interesting crossover <laughs> <laughs> Too many dicks on the dance floor. <laughs> Too many dicks. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, on that to, note. Yeah, someone, someone's got to do that. If only I knew how to use video editing software, I would totally do that. Um, <laughs> um, Flight of a Dragon. So you go. I have heard of that. I, 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 I am familiar. I don't think I've ever seen it. It has got um, James Earl Jones' voice and the opening monologue that he delivers it is just amazing. It is his Isn't that deep... the film that kind of really birthed your love of animation? No, no. Um, the 
everything for my movies, whether it is move, uh, live action or animation, it all comes from the first time my dad had me on his knee and he just started recording Castle in the Sky by Studio Castle Ghibli. Yes. Sorry, my bad. Yeah. Um, there you go. Um, mm-hmm. it, uh, I don't know if I'm going to have time, but I'm going to, like, because because you asked for it, Kara Kitty, and, like, you know, I, I'm i a man of my word, and George mm-hmm. has already seen it, I'm going to try and find Flight of a Dragon. I'm not going to buy a DVD version. <laughs> rent it. Maybe I'll rent it, but I'm a student, so mm-hmm. yeah, you know, I'm on <laughs> a limited students, <laughs> fucking limited budget. So um, <laughs> let me see what I can find, and if I can find it a copy at the right price, <clears throat> nothing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> will We're not shady. I would see if I can watch it, and in you know maybe we'll see you back here. Uh, next week, Kara Kitty, and and we can yeah. find your way back here. We will hopefully have um, that to talk about, along with bright young things and Falcon uh, Soldier. Yeah, it looks like it's potentially going to be another big show next week. Thank you for sticking around for two hours. This has been another long show, but we had a four-hour movie to talk about, as well as a two and a half-hour movie to talk about. So I think we did well. But thank you very much for joining us. We really do appreciate it. Please remember to like subscribe share it out and let people know that they can they too can watch two hours of inane battle until next time good night good night thank you for listening to armchair producers we are a weekly podcast every wednesday at 8 p.m australian eastern standard time we appreciate your support thank you for listening to our podcast and if you'd like to follow along live please go to twitch.tv slash thefriedbrain where you can actually also donate to us as well as watching us live on youtube.com slash friedbrainproductions or facebook.com slash friedbrainproductions. Thank you and see you next time. Bye-bye.